Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of Trades Talk is kicking off now. I've got my co-host Maggie here, and we are talking with DJ Seeger. Maggie, what were some of your big takeaways from DJ's talk today? Yeah, DJ's awesome. So he's under 30 years old, has taken over his father's water management company in Texas, talks about Texas and how he's involved with the legislative there and the different things he's got going on. It's, it's just a really cool conversation, a really cool guy second generation like yourself, Justin. And honestly, our conversation was just so fun. Every time we talked to DJ, I know we saw him in San Antonio about a year ago, but every single time we talked to him, it's just a fun time. Yeah, this guy lights up any room he walks into. And today was no different, even in the Zoom room. We just hit it off and he has an amazing story. So he starts off with this story and then we go into everything from how to hire and retain employees, how to work with subcontractors, embracing technology, how to sell and get big fish on the line. It really was a full spectrum podcast on everything business. Yeah, I think we looked up at, you know, like the 50, 45, 50 minute mark. We're like, whoa, that flew by fast. And we could, <laughs> could keep talking all day. But it really does touch every component of his business and subcontractors and how he's managing that and how to leverage partnerships. And I won't dive too much into to that because that's his trade secret. But just an all-around great episode. I feel like any contractor, regardless of if you do water management or, or not, um, any business owner out there who really thinks and putting your employees first and then growing and investing in your company is important, um, we'll get something out of this episode. So what should we dive on in and let our guests hear all the good things that DJ has to say? Yeah, you guys are going to have fun on this one. Stay tuned. He has a great trade secret at the end. And let's get into this. All right. Well, we have DJ Seeger here with us today, owner of Seeger Water. DJ, how are you doing? I'm great. How are y'all? We're good. We're so excited to have you on. Really pumped to meet you a couple of years ago in, in San Antonio at the Aspire Ignite Conference and hear your story. But for our listeners, why don't you give a little bit of background and, and tell a little bit about your story and your history with Seeger Water and, and all the things you have going on? Yeah, sure. So uh, DJ is short for Don Jr., so there is a Don Seeger Sr. out there. <laughs> and uh, my dad started in 1986. He started his first lawn sprinkler repair business in San Antonio, and it was called Total Irrigation. All he did was residential service and repairs. It was just him and an old 1960s Ford pickup truck. He grew that, and, and that was around the time that Texas moved to this big licensing setup for irrigators. So my dad's one of the early licensed irrigators, had a four digit license number, 3433. And so um, he kind of got in early with it. And in 1990, he added to his business model, which is crazy. It was called do-it-yourself sprinklers. And it's a business model that none of us would ever pursue today, but basically, he had a storefront. You would go in with the plot plan for your property. He would design your landscape and your irrigation system. And then he would sell you all of the parts and rent you the trencher. And you would literally do it yourself. Wow. <laughs> so, of course, homeowners were hiring their landscapers and handymen and, you know, getting their kids involved. And people were putting in these sprinkler systems and I always joke with my dad, 30 years later, we're fixing those springs that those homeowners installed themselves. 
that have the old DIY sprinkler sticker on the controller. So I was born in 95. And in 2007, while I was in middle school, I was working for my dad every weekend, reluctantly. And I was the guy dragging all the parts and the shovels and going back and forth to the truck in the backyard. And he renamed the company Seeger and Sons Sprinkler Company. Funny enough, we still own that name. It's still on our bank account because homeowners still write checks to Seeger and Sons Sprinkler Company all these years later. After high school, I didn't want to go into student loan debt. So I thought I would take a gap year and work for the sprinkler company and then go to college and pursue career in medicine and have nothing to do with sprinklers. In that year, I figured out that this is a really rewarding career because I found my calling in customer experience. I found that like where I am best is trying to give people the best possible experience for their money. So I did a brief stint in high school working for Natural Bridge Caverns, which is one of San Antonio's largest tourist attractions. Um, And I kind of felt this love in like taking care of people and making people feel at home and things like that. And so I thought, you know, you can do that with medicine, but you sure have to climb the bureaucratic ranks to do that. So I thought, you know, as a business owner, as a small business owner, I can give my all to give my customers a really good product, which in this case is a service, uh, and make them feel good in the process and make them feel like they're really their money's worth. And and when that Seeger name is on the controller, it actually means something to them. So I pursued this. I pursued this career. And of course, Texas were, South Texas, we're known for our droughts. We're known for our water restrictions, um, which we'll get into here shortly. But uh we're known for our controversial water restrictions. And so at the time, of course, the manufacturers had just caught on to this idea of water management. And it was like, we're no longer just throwing water on grass. We have to be stewards of this natural resource. And I thought, well, Seeger and Son Sprinkler Company is a real long name and way too long of a .com URL. And the industry was moving away from sprinklers and moving towards water. And I thought, you know, also you want to, any good business, you want to diversify. And I had a good friend of mine in high school that did plumbing and he had become a master plumber. And I said, Hey, you work for me now and we're doing plumbing. And so we said, you know what? I'm going to call it Seeger water. We just do everything water. We do plumbing and we do irrigation and we do water management. Give us a little Mm -hmm. idea. How big was the company at this time when you changed the name from Seeger sprinklers, suns and water, whatever, to just Seeger water. So that's the fun story in the company. So we were tiny. Um, I think I had six or seven subcontractors that were regular for me. And I was sending them on service calls here and there every, every day to go do repairs. And I was focusing on sales. So we were a little business. In 2017, going into 2018 was when I made that switch to Seeker Water. It didn't take three months. And I started getting phone calls. And they were these obscure things that I really didn't know that much about. And it was like, I remember one of the early ones was, hey, it was this utility. And they said, hey, we have all these water meters. We need them replaced. Does Seeker Water do that? Because like, we don't know what does Seeker Water mean. 
And I said, well, as a matter of fact, we do. We replace <laughs> water meters. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's exactly what we do. That's exactly what we do. I mean, we, we do water. And so I used, I went and found a water operator, a class A water operator. And I said, hey, I need you on my team. We work together now. And so he came to work for me and we uh, got a crew together and we started replacing meters. And then that turned into, well, can you repair this pump? And it's like, well, sure. I've repaired irrigation pumps. So, I mean, a pump, a booster pump from a wall to a building is the same exact thing as an irrigation booster pump. And so uh, we just kind of spun it from there. And here we are in 2024. And I've got 72 or 73 employees. We do pumps and controls in the entire state of Texas. Wow. So five of our employees are pumps and controls technicians, and they drive this entire state week after week, and they repair pumps for golf courses, public water systems, skyscrapers. You know, you got to get pressure to the top of the building. And so it's kind of crazy. Yeah. So you guys aren't limited just to irrigation work you're doing plumbing and and pumps and all different types of of sectors absolutely and irrigation is definitely still our first love it's still Mm -hmm. i would say the largest business unit we have we do irrigation service and repairs all the way from san antonio to austin and we serve residential commercial golf we're very proud here in central texas of our vineyards and our wineries and we do the irrigation for those i would say 75% 75% of Cedar Water's business is still irrigation. And you guys with 73 employees, I, I know you've used subcontractors at the very beginning. Are you guys still using a lot of subcontractors today? We have more subcontractors than we have employees. I think we mailed out a hundred and we counted them. 127 1099s this year, this January. I mean, so we we still have we have way more subs than we do employees. And I learned that early on. And and I'll tell you, that has been one of the greatest things I learned was how to master subcontractors. And, you know, the thing about irrigation is it's very seasonal. It's also, especially in large commercial irrigation, it's very project to project to project to project. And so sometimes you'll have a million dollar project and then absolutely nothing. And then a half million dollar project and then nothing. And so trying to keep that many employees on payroll and pay them when you don't have a project is just doesn't make sense. I mean, there's not a CEO in this country that would do that. And so a cash flow nightmare. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you share a little bit? How do you master subcontractors? Because I'm wondering, (laughs) it's it's one of the pain points of our business. Yeah. So we do a few things. So I think the starter, and I think if I can say this freely, I think that the biggest issue with, with using subcontractors in this industry is that none of us are attorneys and none of us have mastered the art of a contract. Hmm. And so part of being a subcontractor is you are under contract. And so one of the things for us in mastering subs was there's so much work here. A lot of subcontractors are usually one-man shows. It's usually a guy and his son. It's Don and DJ. It's, you know, maybe a couple of friends or something. They're looking for work. They don't want to do marketing. 
They're not interested in company finance. They're not interested in applying for business funding. They're not interested in legal. They're not interested in handling customers. They just want to turn a wrench, just want to fix a leak. And then they want to go home at five o'clock and they want to get paid for it. And so it's like, we'll handle that. We'll take care of all of the marketing. We'll take care of all of the sales and we will fill your plate with as much work as you think you can handle. And it starts with a solid contract. So here's the terms. Here's how long it takes us to pay. Here's you know how much we pay. This is a standard pricing sheet that we pay on. We ask you to agree to it. We think it's fair to both the subcontractor and to us. One of the things that's easy to get out of hand with subcontractors is pricing. If you don't know how much that sub is going to charge you, then there's no way you can price the job accordingly. And I think that's why a lot of companies don't like it. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do. We go to the subs and we say, here's our pricing sheet. This is what we'd like to pay you per hour, per that and the other. Now, if you want to negotiate that, sure, we're, we're welcome to negotiate it per project. And we do contracts per project. So yeah. we have subs that, you know, I can think of two off the top of my head that probably signed over 100 contracts last year because they were install crews doing it per project. Um, I'll preface that by saying we really don't do residential installs. Those are all commercial um, we shy away from residential installs. We just can't produce that kind of volume. Um, we don't specialize in that, but on the larger commercial and even turf and sports applications, then those contracts are per project. It's like, here's the terms, here's how we handle things. And if there's going to be a cost overrun, there's a process for that. I've noticed the same thing about contracts. Like mainly the subcontractors I've worked with in my experience have been snow subcontractors and the disconnect, you're exactly right. Like not having a contract, but also not aligning how you charge your client with how you pay your sub. So if I'm going to charge my client a lump sum, but pay my sub time and material, that doesn't align because that can escalate and, and your costs can be absorbed very quickly. I see that all the time in the snow industry. Absolutely. And we do run into that still. I mean, it does happen where you have a project and you just didn't bid it right. You just didn't charge the customer enough for what the sub needs to do the job. Yeah. And we, and that's the other secret to keeping a sub is you have to take care of them. Right. Um, they are your lifeline just as much as you're their lifeline. And so you've got to take care of them. And so there's been projects where, you know, I personally under project and by God, I'm going to pay that subcontractor what I owe them. I'm not going to tell them, Hey, it's cause it's not their fault. It's not their fault that I didn't bid it. Right. I could have just given him the client, let him go bid it. So we take care of them. And then the other thing is we just stay hyper organized. We tell them exactly where they're going to be, what they're going to do. We leverage uh, one of our favorite, programs to use, it's totally free, is Google My Maps, where you can create custom maps. The unlimited number of maps, unlimited amount of data, absolutely free. It's part of having a Gmail account. And so we create these maps for them. And we know, you know, each sub has their own map. And we know these subs are willing to serve this area. So don't don't even send them an RFP for a project outside of that region. The other thing we do is we help the subs with 
because we have subs that are young or they're new or they just caught up to date with the industry. And so we've had several that are honest with us and they're like, I don't know how much to charge you for this. And it's like, well, let's make it fair. Let's talk about it. You know, I'm not here to screw you over. I'm here. You want to make money. I want to make money. And we both want to keep our customer happy. So um, let's work together and find something. So we really invest a lot of time and energy into subcontractors. And like I said, it all begins with a written contract. Yeah, it sounds like it's a core part of your business, the subcontractor model. And I think we typically as contractors are afraid to hire subs where I hear the excuses. It's, well, they're just going to go take my client or, you know, they're yeah. going to go, you know, take that business from me and, and maybe they don't do a good job. What about our name? What about our reputation? So from what I'm hearing, DJ, you are investing in your subs. So there's a partnership when you go to service a client more than it's just an agreement to do work. There's an actual partnership that extends beyond just one single project with you guys. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a partnership and and we're, we're both growing our businesses together and and they know we will keep them busy. We'll give you as much work. If you want to make a million dollars, we'll give you, I mean, <laughs> if you can finish those work orders, we'll give you a million dollars in work orders. We'll if you're a your plumber way. or irrigator in Texas and you're <laughs> wanting more work, it sounds like you just need to give DJ and Seeger Water a call. Call Seeger Water and we will sign you up for more work. More work right, than you'll ever take. <laughs> I love that. DJ, you 2017, you've got a few employees. You're just getting off the ground. You have a bunch. You've been in business, but you only have a few employees, a lot of subs. Today, you have 73 employees. That's massive growth in the last, what are we, you know, six, seven years, years here. Yeah, seven years. Was there a vision? Was there an inflection point where you just decided, look, I'm going to blow this thing up. I'm going to go hire people. I'm going to, I'm gonna really going to grow this thing. What, what was the tipping point when you created the vision and you started to hire and grow to where you, and if you don't mind, I mean, where are you guys in terms of revenue today? We think 73 employees We're like, all right, he's maybe five, 10 million, right? That's kind of what you would think. But I know you guys are much larger than that. What are you guys doing these days? And what was that vision? So I'm so excited in 2023, we closed the year with little over $23 million in sales. <laughs> um, Whoa. So yeah, we really, uh, really closed out the year strong. Congrats on that, man. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, managing that many people is difficult. Um, and guess what? We leverage more contractors to manage that. There are some phenomenal HR management companies out there. You know, ADP is one of the most famous ones nationally. Uh, here in San Antonio and in Texas, we're very blessed to have uh, Southwest Business Corporation, SWBC. And they're a phenomenal business partner especially for larger businesses. And so those mid-sized to large-sized enterprises where you're coming out of being a small business, you're coming into being a corporation, SWBC, these guys are experts at that. And, and they do everything from your employee has a question about their child support payments or my wife owns a boutique. I'm going to add some of her tax burden, her estimated taxes to my taxes out coming out of my paycheck. How do I do that? And it's like, go talk to the professional. <laughs> and they have this direct portal link. So, and most of these companies do this. There's, there's hundreds of them now. And, you know, we've learned that, you know, not, we're not all experts at everything. I'm not an expert attorney. I'm not an expert accountant and I'm not an expert HR manager. So 
in order to manage 73 people, what I have to do is go hire an expert attorney and an expert accountant and an expert HR manager who can manage all of these people. So um, and that's exactly what we've done. Smart. And it sounds like you have utilized the circle of professionals very well, not just in the HR and attorney world, but also in the subcontractor world. You're leveraging not just your business, but those around you and the partnerships and relationships you have. That's what I'm taking away from this whole thing is you're looking beyond just what's in your company in terms of how right. to leverage your growth. Yeah, we're just looking outwards. Yeah. Continuing on technology, Maggie, with you being in software, I mean, what are you thinking as we talk about this from a partnership standpoint? I'm sure you have some questions around technology. What's DJ doing with tech, right? Yeah, I do have a lot of questions about technology. Um, Before we go there, I do want to touch on one thing, the employee side. Um, And one thing that I know that you offer your employees is a pretty phenomenal benefit package. Um, So before we dive down the technology route, can you talk a little bit about what that package looks like and and how that impacts your employee retention and and hiring? Definitely. So, um, I mean, we start with, you know, competitive salaries. We're not the cheapest irrigation company or plumbing company or pumps service provider in in Texas. We're we're not the cheapest, but our customers know that when you call us, we're sending an expert. We're sending somebody who's been trained. And these people, our employees are trained so far beyond just their on-the-job training. Every single one of our technicians, it is a requirement once a year that they spend an entire day answering the phones and scheduling customers. And it's like, yeah, I want you to sit here and I want you to answer the phones. I want you to take their credit card number when they call to pay. And they're flustered because the payment form They don't know how to use it or it's not working. They're calling because they're frustrated because their house is flooding um, or their front yard is underwater. How quickly can you schedule someone? Well, hang on a minute. I got to see who's available and who's the closest technician to where you are. And so it's like you've got to understand all sides of this business to understand how important you are in the business. And so with our customer support folks that are answering the phone every day, they're also riding front seat with a service technician once a year. Go on out, go see, you talk to John Smith on the phone every month when he calls, go to his house now and go see his sprinkler system. Go see that sink we replaced. Go see that faucet we fixed. Go see the backflow we replaced. And understand, again, how important you are in, in this giant living organism um, and see where you fit in it and realize just how important you are. So back on your question, we start with competitive salaries. I, I think on average, we're about 24 to 28% higher than our competitors in terms of salaries and wages. Um, I think our best benefit and, and the one that our employees and new employees flock here for is hundred percent of your health, dental, and vision premium. We carry that cost for our employees. So when you work for us, it doesn't cost you anything to have health insurance, dental, and vision. Um, of course, if you want to add spouse and kids, then that becomes the employee's burden. But we always cover our employees, and that comes from you know the true fact that it's just expensive. Insurance is expensive. You know we've gotten in with some really good what are called PEOs, 
So they're called professional employer organizations. So companies like Gusto or ADP or SWBC, they will take a bunch of mid-sized enterprise that all have 50 employees. They'll put you under one EIN. So now it looks like you have 500 employees and then go bid the insurance. Of course, insurance premiums for 300, 400, 500 people are way cheaper than insurance premiums for 50. And so, you know, we've done some things like that to save costs, but still provide that benefit. But the big thing, you know, it's expensive for the employee to carry their own insurance. And also we want our employees to be healthy. Probably saves on your workers comp too. Absolutely. I'll tell you, it's, (laughs) we, you know, healthy employees are happy employees and happy employees make happy customers. So keeping your employees healthy, I think, is is a big priority for us. And we put a lot of money into sa- uh, safety and, and health. Um, another benefit we have on that line is memberships to Gold's Gym. So every employee has a membership at Gold's Gym. The other thing we did for all of our employees at Christmas time in 2022, every new employee gets their own Apple Watch. We have another watch, I think think it's it's another fitness watch for android i can't remember what it's called but every one of our employees has a smart watch and so if you want it's by volunteer only we have a pool that you can submit your fitness data to and the people walking the most steps and the people doing the most exercise in minutes per week we have all these prizes and we do it kind of as a lottery process and so those prizes range from, you know, I think this past month we gave away some free iPads. We've done 85 inch Samsung frame TVs. We'll do gift cards to Cappy's or J Prime Steakhouse or something like that. And it's like, go be healthy and we will invest everything you need to do into that. You'll live a longer life. You'll be happier. And at the end of your career, when you're done working outside and you're done digging holes, and you're done fixing leaks, and you're done dealing with customers, your knees, your back, and your neck are going to be in good shape, and your heart's going to be in good shape. So now you can retire and go travel and go enjoy grandkids, and you're not going to be creaking and ailing along because we beat the hell out of you and didn't do anything to help. So I would say that's, that's our pride and joy in terms of our benefits. But we also have 401k. We match to 7%. We've got you know, some other smaller perks. We've got really good PTO and we have employee wellness days that don't count on PTO and you have to use them. And that's to go to the doctor, go get your teeth cleaned. I am big on people cleaning their teeth. Yeah. Uh, that is, no one realizes how important that is for your heart health. Oh, yeah. Your teeth is the plaque that ends up in your arteries. Yeah. So get your teeth cleaned twice a year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a big, I'm a big advocate for that. Um, what I'm hearing is just a lot of investment into your people. And for our listeners out there, I, I know there's probably a little, little bit of red flags going off in their mind thinking, how do we afford this? Like, how do we make sure that my company can provide financially these benefits? Because obviously I know, Justin, you're a, you're a business owner. I'm sure you want to be able to provide 100% healthcare to your employees oh, as well. How do, how do you financially make that happen? Well, I, I always tell people we're blessed to be in Texas. Everything <laughs> here, you know, we don't have state income taxes. The tax burden on businesses is much lower. 
Texas really invests in its businesses. And so businesses here keep a lot more of our money. And so we've sunk a good percentage of our profit margins back into our staff, knowing that the only way to grow is to have healthy, happy employees. But we've also leveraged things like using PEOs rather than just bidding the insurance on our own. Let's go bid it with 300 other people and drop our premiums. I mean, in those PEOs, you can see your premiums drop by up to 30% sometimes, um, depending on where you go and where you're looking. So, you know, that's one thing we do. And we leverage a lot of the business resources that the state makes available to us. So we, we constantly work with the Texas Workforce Commission and find out, you know, what is that resource we need? Where, what gym is offering corporate memberships at a super discounted rate? Yeah, and there's a lot that you're doing, DJ, it sounds like, to make this affordable. It's not just that you're like, hey, this is going to cost us more money. We're just going to handle it and just do it. You're going out finding ways to be efficient, to save money, while also delivering to your employees great opportunities and benefits. And I, I, I am jealous of you being in Texas. You know, For us in California, it's not the most business-friendly state, and people wonder right. why folks are flocking to places like Austin and San Antonio. Well, it's pretty simple and clear. It's an easier, better state to operate in as a business. And it sounds like when the businesses do better, the employees do better. That's what I'm hearing. Absolutely. Texas is a huge business state. And and I've got friends all over the country in this industry. And I consistently hear from a lot of these other states and especially west of us that, you know, Year-end net profit margins sit somewhere between 4% and 8% if you're really lucky. In Texas, we're sitting closer to 18 to 30% net profit margins. So yeah, companies here have the ability to sow back into their staff. And it's amazing, but that, that geographic change honestly makes a really big difference. It truly, truly makes a big difference. And you guys are taking full advantage of that, which is great to see. Definitely. And as a company, we stay very involved in the state legislative process. We stay very involved. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we're very involved with our local and our state leadership. You know, the governor here in Texas, Greg Abbott, and, and our legislator, both our House and our Senate, they all have these advisory councils made up of business owners, business administrators, leaders, executives managers. They're very open to listening. Here in Texas, we just walk in the Capitol and our legislators are sitting at their desk. And, you know, we'll go in and crack the books open and be like, look, look what we've been able to do because our tax burden is light. Um, Look how much we've put back into our employees. And think about when you're sewing into your employees, they're buying new cars they're shopping, they're taking their families out to dinner, and they're sewing right back into the local economy. Yeah. They're contributing to those local businesses. And our legislator understands that. And, and we communicate that with them. We say, you know, we're this little bitty sprinkler business and look at everything we've accomplished. I do not think Seeger Water would be possible if it weren't for where we're located. I'm not sure you can scale a business like that almost anywhere else. That kind of scalability is why big Silicon Valley corporations are moving here to Texas is that scalability is so much easier here. So, but we stay very involved. We communicate. Yeah. 
And when issues come up, you know, in Texas, we're known for our licensing. You have to be licensed to touch an irrigation system in Texas. And so we communicate with them. They have the Texas Irrigation Advisory Council. It's made up of nine people. And I, I'm one of those people that serves on it. And we advise the state on irrigation issues. Um, everything from, do you need a rain sensor if you have central control? all the way to the design of an irrigation system, which is regulated in Texas. We require head-to-head coverage by law. Um, and so we talk wow. about those issues and the state really listens to what we have to say. That's, that's so awesome that the, the state listens to you as much as you're involved. I, want to do, I do want to get back on the track of technology because you know that's where I live. That's my world where I live in. And I'm sure that Part of the way that you know that you can afford these benefits and this this great culture for your employees has to do with understanding and knowing your margins and your where how each job is performing and all of that. So um, I know you've mentioned earlier you have iPads in your trucks, iPads in all your vehicles. Can you talk a little bit about your technology package, how you track your profitability on jobs, um, your you know, accounting practices? Give a little bit of insight on on what that tech looks like for you. Yeah, definitely. You know, technology is so important. It's it's everything. It's about the only way to grow a business these days. Unless you just have thousands of employees at your disposal, you've got to leverage technology and automate some of those processes. So, you know, one of the easiest automations we made in our business was accepting credit card payments. Uh. It's a fairly easy way to do it. I, there's tens of thousands of credit card processing companies. We started with Square. That was our beginning. That was our intro into technology. We still have a Square account to this day. We have a lot of customers that live in there. We have credit cards on file there. And so it starts with, if you can take an estimate digitally, turn it into an invoice digitally, and receive the payment digitally, no bookkeeper needed. Because it's all automated, it streamlines right into QuickBooks. So the estimate, so your pipeline starts and it turns into an invoice when the job is completed. So now you have the beginning of the billing cycle. And as soon as that client pays, you have the end of the billing cycle. And we're big believers in QuickBooks. So it tracks sales tax, which Texas loves its sales tax. And sometimes... You can work at one neighbor's house and go across the street and you are in a different taxing jurisdiction because you've just gone into a different city or a different library district or a different county. And so tracking sales tax per address, I'm honestly, I don't know how people did it back then. I, I suspect a lot of sales taxes weren't paid. If you don't have a way to enter the address and know the jurisdiction that you owe the tax to, so be it. So I think it starts with that is automating everything you can. And there's some stuff you can't automate, like answering the phone. Um, when a customer calls, they want to talk to a live person. But that's where you bring in your next layer of technology, which for us is a CRM. Um, we love Salesforce. Um, we are very excited. We're here. We will be making the transition over to Service Titan, which is very, very purpose built for this industry. But honestly, any of the CRMs, if you have a way to input that call when it comes in, so you have a time and date stamp on when that customer first called, you create their customer profile in that first phone call, get the email address that we're going to send the invoice to, 
get a good phone number, make sure that the service address and the billing address either are the same or you get the, the two different addresses. And one of the other things we do is find out, especially on residential, are you the property owner that's calling us? Um, if you're not, if you're the property owner's representative, that's fine. Who is the property owner and how do we contact the property owner if needed? If there comes a payment issue here in the state of Texas, you can only file the lien on the property, not on the yard man that called you to help you. So we have to know, you know, who's the property owner. So um, that first phone call becomes important and that CRM becomes important to begin the sales pipeline. This person called on this day and time. This is what they wanted. And on residential, that's super helpful because now five years down the road, when a brand new service technician is going out to that person's house, they know that on this day, we replaced the controller. There, at the time we replaced it, here's the irrigation inspection report. So there were this many zones. This is the zone number. And all of that lives in the cloud. And so we installed iPads in all of our trucks. So every single technician has an iPad. It was a very expensive transition. <laughs> we use Microsoft OneDrive. So all of those reports live on OneDrive. So when you go out and you do a service call and you inspection report, you're saving it on OneDrive. So now from right here where I'm sitting in Austin, if a customer in Canyon Lake, Texas calls me, I can pull up the most recent inspection report and have a decent idea what they're talking about. You know, maybe, hey, my controller doesn't work and you just installed it. Well, you look at it and it's like, we installed it five years ago. Um, it's not under warranty anymore. Or we installed it five days ago and it's this make and model with this many stations. So before I even go out there for the warranty call, I'm going to make sure I have this make and model with this many stations on the modules. So I know exactly what I'm walking into. So having the ability to upload photos and reports and, and invoices where service technicians, customer support representatives, and then accountants can all access the same pool of information is very, very important. I wanted to just ask, you mentioned service time earlier and the fact you're moving that way. What was the decision? Why did you guys decide that, hey, we need something more robust and we're going to go with service Titan? What was kind of the, you know, the, the moving factor on that? So we see them every year at the Irrigation Association National yeah. Show. You know, I, we saw them in San Diego in 2021, Vegas in 2022, and uh, they came to our backyard in 2023. And, you know, we've beta tested their platform. We've done some demos with them. They have a really solid CRM. It's purpose built. It has the language that we use in the industry. It has price books that are specific to residential, commercial, and then regional. You know, cost of living in San Antonio is different than it is in Austin. And we do charge a little bit more in Austin because employees cost more in Austin. Same thing if we're going to do a pump job in Houston. Well, now we're driving to Houston. So pricing is going to look a little different. So that's where that stuff becomes, you know, invaluable knowledge. Having access to information from anywhere in the world is the key to growing any business. I love it. And I appreciate you sharing that. I, I think there's a lot of contractors and business owners out there who are holding back on decisions to embrace technology because they're afraid of the cost or they're afraid of the lift that it's going to bring to get it implemented. 
And we've embraced technology quite a bit in the last five years and we continue to. So, you know, it's just great to hear stories of people who are embracing technology and it's working for them. You know, going with the iPads and the trucks, a big decision. But when you did that, it was it was painful for the first you know year, I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Now you can you can leverage that when you're recruiting employees. You can leverage that for empl- for hires, and I'm sure it just makes your business run so much smoother. Absolutely, yeah. Just yeah, we have access, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and there's challenges that come with access to information. Information security and privacy is a huge deal right now um, in every industry. So billing information is very locked down. You only have as a technician you have access to it at the moment that you invoice the customer and receive payment. And then you never have access to the billing information again, unless there's a reason we need to send you billing information. You don't have access to that information. Our credit card process did. So it works just like Apple pay or Google pay or Android pay. You put in your credit card number on file and it scrambles it. So if that server is ever compromised, the numbers that the person gets are completely useless. We don't store banking or payment info for more than six months. So people who do want to save a card on file usually are routine customers that are, you know, we're invoicing them every week or every month versus somebody who we see once a year, they're going to have to re-enter their information every single year because we don't store that payment information. And then our customer list, the good thing with technology is we all have to deal with the possibility, grapple the possibility of an employee taking information so everything you do when you are connected to Seeger Water iPad on that Seeger Water network, we can see every keystroke. We can see if you plug in a flash drive. We can see if you export data to an Excel spreadsheet. If you take a screenshot, I mean, it's all recorded. No one's walking out the door with a customer list without us knowing. You know, And that's the other thing. We're paperless. If you walk in our office... You can break into our office and get absolutely nothing. Yeah. There is no papers anywhere. Our accounting team and our customer support team, they're trained. If you have to print something to get your job done that day, that's fine. It's going to be shredded at the end of the day. Uh, do not leave financials. Don't leave PL statements. Don't leave a sticky note with a customer's name and email address on your desk. You need to enter it into the CRM and shred it. That's such a great practice, right? Yeah. We don't print that much. So it's like we can afford to print. If we got to print another P&L for the next day, fine, we can do that. But don't leave it sitting on your desk because you don't know who is going to walk in or break in and have access to that information that as a private company, we don't have to disclose anything about our financials. We can make up numbers. (laughs) I mean, we could tell somebody we're a million dollar business or a billion dollar business and we don't have to disclose that. And so why leave it on your desk where now you are disclosing it to whoever comes across your desk? I think it also helps to keep things in the CRM. I have trouble sometimes getting our people to get things into the CRM. So this forces you to document and put into the system. I think that's a good practice for anyone listening to, to potentially put in place. Just think of so, it this way, though. If yeah. you called into a company and you gave them your information, would you want your information sitting on their desks? No. So why should we do yeah, that exactly. to, to, to your clients? So didn't mean to interrupt you there, Justin. 
<laughs> no, it's good. It's all part of it. So I, you know, one question that comes to my mind, I've been really working on this idea of recurring income in the water sector, whether it be irrigation, golf, vineyards, potential plumbing, but the idea of having subscription money coming in every month, 12 months of the year, water management or water services. DJ, this is something I think you've done really well. Can you just tell us a little bit about how do you go around and, and get some of these clients you have, some of the cities, some of the municipalities and, and private corporations that pay you a monthly fee to manage their systems? It all starts with relationship. And I know it's a cliche in business, but networking is invaluable. And I'll tell you, there's a little trade secret about networking. So if you're listening and you're in Austin or San Antonio, <laughs> but, but something that is so important that I think a lot of people miss, you know, when we're out there doing business development, you're looking for the client and you're scoping out who you want to be your client. I learned that the person most often overlooked is usually the client you want, their executive assistant or their personal assistant or their secretary. That is the person that salespeople will walk right past and not bat an eye at. And I've learned that when something breaks, it's not the manager calling, it's not the broker calling, and it's not the building owner calling. It's the front desk person. It is their job to go mm. find a plumber, to go find an irrigator. And if you're bringing that person coffee and you're, you remember that person's name, and when you go in to, to talk to that property manager, you go in to talk to that anchor client that you're so desperate for, remember the person you're walking past on your way to the client and make that person just as important as the client because the client has that person's ear all day long. And so that person will become your advocate when you're really trying to get a client. So I think networking is important, but not in the sense of just going to the country club for the chamber of commerce mixer and handing out your business card. It's about building a relationship with them. So DJ, tell us a little bit more about how you land these big fish clients. I do some of the normal salesman stuff. I have a book that shows all about our company, the history of the company, our diversity and inclusion policy, our environmental sustainability efforts, and our charity, our charity efforts. But one of the big things I do is at the end of pitching the company to the client, out pushing hard and expecting I'm going to walk out of there with a science contract, I tell them, call me when you have an emergency and your current contractor can't get to it. So like, I'm not, I don't ever walk into a, a big fish anchor client's office expecting you have an RFP ready for me to quote on and we're going to find a deal tomorrow. I don't expect that. I, no, I don't, none of us run our business that way. I don't run my business that way. So what I do is I just pitch the company and say, if you have an RFP come up, a request for proposal, or you're ready to get pricing for our services, I'm right here. Let me know. But otherwise, call me when you have an emergency and your current contractor can't get to it. And I'll tell you, without fail, almost every single one of those that I've done that to, they have an emergency and I've got somebody 24 hours a day and we'll be there. And that is the beginning of the work relationship with the client is you're there to rescue them when they're con when the other contractor can't. 
So your strategy is more, let me get into the on deck circle and be your number two in the case of an emergency. And as soon as that happens, you run 24 seven, you can come in and just completely wow them. That, so, that's a great yeah, strategy. I mean, and emergencies happen all the time. They happen constantly. And so if you can be there to help them when they need it, then that's your ticket in the door for that client because now you've become their saving grace in their time of need. And that'll get you a new client every, every single time. I personally do not pursue the standard, what I call the standard salesman approach where you walk in, pitch them your company, pitch them your services. And then not even a week later, you're calling, Hey, so did you have a chance to look at that? Did you, okay, you ready for me to send you a quote? Okay, can you do coffee next week? No, 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 no. No one wants to be ambushed. And I see that as being the fastest way to lose a client is to ambush them. If they're ready for a quote, they'll call you. They'll be ready for a quote. So you want to put yourself in front of the client. You want to make sure they know who you are because it is true that you'll never get a client if they don't know who you are. There's truth to that. But that pushy you know, give them the proposal or give them the pitch and then call them in three days, five days, 10 days, 15 days, send them an email, show back up to their office. It's like, no, 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 no. They don't want that. And you won't get them because then they know you're just trying to sell them something. I really believe in what I'm selling. I really believe that Seeger Water does the best work. I really believe that we give our clients the best customer experience. If a client calls on Christmas day at nine o'clock in the morning, we're going to be there. And if I personally am the one going out there, so be it. I've got all the tools and equipment on. I drive a service truck. Uh, if it's me going out there, I'll be there. And a lot of times on those emergencies with those big fish clients, when they do call, they take me up on my offer and they call my cell phone. Uh, That's they great. call my personal cell phone. And I'm driving out there. They're getting, you're calling Seeger Water and they're getting DJ Seeger coming to their property uh, at two in the morning. And so <laughs> that I've learned is the big way. And there's some other things, there's some follow up as far as, you know, subscription based. We all know that's the key to, to steady revenue is, you know, that revenue is coming in. But I think in order to get steady, trustworthy revenue, you've got to be a trustworthy contractor. You've got to prove to that client they're not just going to sign a deal for two or three thousand dollars a month. You show them you're worth two or three thousand a month. Let them call you for a handful of emergencies. Let them call you just because they need somebody to go read the meter, and I don't ever send them an invoice for it. And when they ask for the invoice, I tell them, no, 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 it's just a courtesy, and I, I mean it. It really is a courtesy because I believe in what I do, and I want you to, I want you to hire me one day. And sure enough, here we are. Uh, all these years later, and they're all clients. Well, your strategy obviously works, DJ. And and I appreciate you sharing with us that approach because I think it's something that newer salespeople can tend to get a little overwhelmed and overzealous with, and they start attacking the, the client with phone calls. Maggie, you're in sales. This is what you do. Yeah. How, how does this resonate with you? Yeah, no, this, this really resonates with me. The, the amount of times where I've had to correct people um, and my team does a lot of cold calling like pure cold calling and i've had to correct him i said what you're doing is is not providing any value 
to, to them. If they're going to give up some of their precious, valuable time, you need to make it relatable to them, about them. You need to make sure that what you're giving them, they're going to get something out of because business owners don't want to talk to someone unless it's going to benefit themselves, uh, plain and simple. So unless we're able to provide benefit to their daily to their day, we should not earn the right to call them. So I always focus on, you know, go on their website, find out a Google review and how that impacted them. Make them aware of a Google review. Owners a lot of times don't have the time to go and look at all their Google reviews. Um, find out who their favorite football team is and ask them if they've remembered to place their bet for the weekend. Simple things like that. Because like if you can provide a small piece of value to their day, it has nothing to do with technology. They're they're that more compelled to take the call from you. So that that's always our strategy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, give them give them something of value and show them you're worth it. And I don't. No one likes a desperate contractor. Uh, and that pushy sales stuff is real. It's like, okay, are you hurting? Like, you can come out and say it if you're below quota. Uh, that pushy stuff. I I just a lot of times hang up the phone when they push me with it. It's like I've got too much on my plate to entertain somebody pushy. Yeah. And the thing is, a lot of we all in this industry would do better to remember a lot of commercial property managers and owners, a lot of golf courses, a lot of vineyards, a lot of farmers, they have relationships with the contractors they use. And a lot of those relationships are 10 and 20 years old. You're not just going to walk in and waltz out with a signed contract. Correct. And I also try to remember that if I win a contract, it means that another contractor didn't. It means that another contractor lost that business and that revenue that maybe they were counting on. And so that's part of our subcontractors. We reach out to a lot of our competitor contractors and say, hey, you know, we realize we, you know, we came in and we got this contract. If you need work, let us know. We're happy to, yeah. we're happy to share some work with you. We're happy to feed you some work. And maybe it's residential, but we're happy to feed you some work. We're not, we don't expect to take your revenue and leave you with nothing. Yeah. Let's work together on this. And and that approach has really worked well. But trying to trying to walk into a property manager's office and get them to sever their relationship with a company they've been working with for 10 years that's not how it works, is the yeah. fastest way to make sure they never answer your call again. And that's oh. why I start with that. Call me when that company can't help you. Because that day will come. I've found that's the better approach, for at least for us. So, so two things to follow up with that. The first is I always tell my team, the first thing you should ask someone when you call them is what did I interrupt you? What, what did I catch you in the middle of? What did I interrupt you doing right now? Because then A, it shows that you care. And B, if it's something that sounds important, you can be like, okay, that sounds really important. How about I give you a call back in an hour or tomorrow? Um, maybe you won't be doing something that it's important right that right then and there. And you can do the same thing when you walk into a property manager's office. Like they might be in the middle of a fire and you have no idea about it. But by you recognizing it and acknowledging it, you're instantly gaining rapport with them and understanding and being empathetic. The second piece to that is, you know, there's this pushy salesperson is, is what you you mentioned. And, you know, there everyone in society today knows that there are salespeople out there. And they know you know when you're getting trying to get sold and, and all these things. And you have to take it back from I'm a salesperson to I'm a human. And there have been times where I personally in sales have done something 
that may have been came off as pushy if a different person did it or took a different approach. And I'm going to give you an example, you know, trying to get a contract signed by the end of the month or the end of the quarter, the end of the fiscal year. I have flat out told people like, you know, you're going to go with this decision and I'm going to make this human with you. I've spent hours on the phone with you. I'm going to be very flat and honest with you. I get paid a higher commission if I get it signed today than if I get it signed tomorrow. So what what do I have to do or is it not happening? Like I need to know in my brain. And I think there's this stigma of not talking about being pushy without just laying it on the table and being honest. Like this is why I'm pushing you to do this. Like this is why it's important to me. And if it's not going to happen, I can get over that. But I'd rather just know now than know at 11.59 on the last day of the year. Right. Yeah, I think people appreciate trust, honesty, and vulnerability because we're all here trying to make something happen. And when you're not telling them the full story, I, I feel like clients pick up on that. So it's better just be open and honest from the get and tell them why you're here, tell them what you're doing and what your goals are. And and if they're in alignment with theirs, which I think a lot of times they actually are, you guys are going to get there a lot quicker than playing this back and forth game, trying to read each other's body language. It's all the actions that you take to get to that point to earn yourself the ability to ask for the business and ask and, and let the people know how it's going to impact your life. So that's just my little, my sales <laughs> 101 for the day. <laughs> um, yeah. Love it. Well, I'm glad we got to wrap some sales into this. We covered so many bases. Maggie, you know, we always end this episode a certain way. You want to take us home here? Yeah. CJ, you knew this was coming. We're going to ask you for your trade secret. So you have many years working in the trades and not to age, you're not old or by any means, but you started at a young age. You watched your dad um, build this business up and everything. So through all that experience, that frontline experience, now running the company and and everything, what would you like to pin as your trade trade secret for the episode? My trade secret is relationships with the water utilities. Water utilities are your friends. Those clients that you want are already their clients. The client you want is already a client for the water utility, for the local water provider. If you make friends with the local water provider, it's inevitable that that client's going to need something and that water provider is going to remember you. Yeah, make make friends and partnerships with people who are providing service to the same people that you want to provide service with. Absolutely. I love that. And and I, I would be remiss if I didn't, put in a plug for our third annual water summit coming up in Santa Cruz, March 7th. DJ, you're going to be there speaking. I'm super excited to have you for the second year. And we actually are going to have a panel of water districts up there sharing what's going on in their districts and with their water users and what's going on with legislation. So to that point, it's so important to build those partnerships. And and DJ, thanks again for coming out and talking. And and if anyone's listening and wants to attend, check our website out. We got a lot of links on there to, to sign up. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to being there. All right. Well, I'll see you in a few weeks, man. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been a great one. Maggie, thank you. As always, great episode. Thanks all. Have a good one. Sounds good. Thanks y'all.